I do want to thank you for the opportunity to be with you and the hospitality that's been shown to me already has been a blessing. I do want to share my testimony and then just a, a short message that the Lord's laid on my heart. You know, growing up in a, a religious Jewish home and a rig, religious Jewish community, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to meet people that weren't Jewish. Just as I'm sure most of you probably haven't had a lot of opportunities to meet a lot of Jewish people. The first time that I'd ever met somebody that I knew wasn't Jewish was in the third grade, and his name was David. The only reason I knew he wasn't Jewish is he told me he was a Christian. Now, he tried to invite me to go to church with him, but being brought up in a religious Jewish home, I wasn't allowed to go to church. But he kept praying for me, and he tried and witness to me from time to time over the years. And, and I remember on several occasions saying, David, if Jesus Christ was truly the Messiah, if he'd come down and tap me on the shoulder and tell me he was, well, then I'd believe it. Well, the only problem is he did that over 2,000 years ago, fulfilled every prophecy. But I believe the general population probably didn't believe him then, probably for the same reason I didn't. See, I just had no desire to know the truth. And it doesn't matter what religion, background, what, where you came from. If you don't want to know the truth, all people could do is pray for you, invite you to church, and look through opportunities through the leading of the Holy Spirit to share the Word of God. Now, I'm the youngest of four children. Uh, my oldest sister, Sherry, is eight and a half years older than me. She only missed two questions on her SAT. She got a full scholarship to Cornell University, and she was second on the dean's list. Went on to law school, she was first on the dean's list. Uh, my brother, Mark's two years younger. Uh, he got a full scholarship to Northwestern University in Chicago as a chemical engineer, and he was fifth on the dean's list. So it didn't take me very long growing up to realize it was pointless trying to compete with them academically. <laughs> so I got involved in sports. Uh, by the time I was in ninth grade, I was punting almost 40 yards uh, American football. The varsity coach told me I'd be on the high school varsity team my first year of high school. Uh, the summer before that, I was working at a Jewish camp and talking to my parents over the summer, they told me they were planning on moving, and I tried to convince them that that was a bad idea. Of course, they moved anyway. The area they had moved to, they'd been redistricting in the high school that they didn't know about, so the high school I was going to have to attend, their academics were very low. The only way I could go to the better high school was to get a special academic permit, but one of the conditions of that permit was you're not allowed to play sports because they didn't want people changing high schools just to play on a better team. And I would have played on a much better team. Jeff Fisher was a year ahead of me in high school, who was the youngest coach in the NFL of the Tennessee Titans than the Rams. But the only way you could get a regular permit was each year they would take 20 names out of a bowl, two years in a row. I tried to get a regular permit, but let me explain to you, the lottery didn't work then, and it doesn't work now. I didn't get a permit. It was my second semester of 11th grade. I did not like high school. I took my GED, I graduated early, I went straight to junior college, but after spending a year in college, I knew there was something missing from my life. And I had no clue what was going to fill that void, I just knew something was missing. So I decided I'd try something different, so I did. I enlisted in the U.S. Army for three years. Well, let me tell you, that didn't fill that void. I was a helicopter crew chief, a co-pilot on a helicopter, I got to do a lot of neat things and go to a lot of neat places, but there was this huge void. So my enlistment was up. I moved back home with my parents. I'd work full time during the day. I'd go to college at night. And every six months to a year, I changed jobs. 
I changed majors, I changed colleges. I figured if I kept doing that, eventually I was gonna find that thing that was gonna fill that void. Well, it was 1986, and I mean, I, I was miserable. I tried everything the world had to offer, good, bad, and ugly, but nothing filled that void. Well, here's my friend David for the last 14 years trying to get me to go to church with him, and I figured I'd go with him once, and I'll tell him I didn't like it, and he'll finally leave me alone. But see, there was one huge problem. For me to get up on a Sunday morning and put a suit and tie in, let me tell you the huge red flags that's going to shoot up for my parents. Because in Judaism, you celebrate the Lord's Day from Friday night at sundown till Saturday night at sundown. Now, I know, um, I'm not sure about Canada, but in 1986 in America, it was against a lot of work on Sunday. Nobody worked. So I was trying to figure out a way around it so my parents would know where I was at Sunday morning. So on Saturday night, I spent the night at his house so my parents would know where I was at. Now keep in mind, I was 23 years old. And I went with David to Faith Baptist Church in Canoga Park, California, and I started hearing things that I had never heard before. But don't be mistaken, it wasn't that my friend David never tried to tell me. The problem was I was never willing to listen. So I started going to church with him three times a week, and every Saturday night I'd stay at his house, and that was in September. At the end of November, I went to David, and I says, I want to know the truth. What can I do? He says, get a King James Bible. Start reading in John and Romans and pray and ask God to show you, and he will. Well, I laughed at David. I says, I've prayed to God thousands of times in my life, and never has God answered one of my prayers. Why in the world will he answer one now? He says, Jay, you need to pray in Jesus' name. Now, you might not understand what a difficult thing that is for a Jewish person to do. But I felt I had nothing to lose. So I prayed in Jesus' name, and I started reading the Word of God, and let me tell you, that was the first prayer that God ever answered. See, he had lifted that veil. It was amazing the things that I can start to see and understand from reading God's Word. And it's an amazing thing of what we can find in God's Word if we just want to know the truth. So I'm praying, I'm studying, I'm going to church three times a week. And now it's February of 1987. I'd finish reading in John and Romans. I knew nothing about the Word of God. So I decided I'm going to start reading in Genesis and Matthew. And if you have your Bible and you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. It was in February that I came across this passage. In Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, it says, Think not that I came to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man at variance against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes are they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Now there's a parallel passage in Micah chapter 7. But it didn't matter at the time of Micah, at the time of Matthew, in 1987, or even today. If you're a religious Jew and you convert to another religion, your family will have a physical funeral for you. 
I'm talking about a full-size casket, flowers, they bury you in the ground and you're dead. And if they saw you on the street, they wouldn't even acknowledge that you existed. Now, growing up in a conservative Jewish home, it was still about a 50-50 chance that's what my family would do. And this is sort of stuck in the back of my mind every day as I'm reading and praying. It's now April. It's the second Sunday in April of 1987. And after the service that Sunday morning, Brother Gregory, the song leader, came outside. And he's talking to me. He's asking me all these questions. I knew all the answers. See, it doesn't matter what you know in here. It's what you're willing to believe in here. But that Sunday morning, I realized. I think I knew in my head, but it finally got down here, that thing that I had been searching for for all those years, that happiness, that peace, that joy. It wasn't out in the world. It was having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I accepted him as my Savior that Sunday morning. Sunday night, I went forward for a public profession of faith. By Wednesday night, I was working in junior high Iwana. Thursday, I was on visitation. Saturday, visitation. Working on a bus route every Sunday. All I knew is that I wanted to serve the Lord. Now, I had no idea what the Lord wanted. I just knew that I wanted to serve him. And when David asked me to read in John and Romans, I picked my life verses out of John chapter 15, starting in verse 16. It says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you love one another. And every morning I praise the Lord for my salvation. But every morning I praise the Lord that I had a friend named David who never gave up on me. A third grade boy who just kept saying, I want to see my best friend Jay know Jesus. See, that's the kind of love we're supposed to have for one another. And I believe that's probably one of the biggest things that's missing in our churches today. We pray for somebody, we invite him to church, we witness to him week after week, month after month, and nothing happens, unfortunately, I believe what most happens most often is that we just give up because we don't see the results we want. We shouldn't give up on anybody until they're gone or we're gone. God has a perfect plan for every one of our lives if we just submit ourselves to him and be faithful. I just wanted to serve the Lord. I tried to get involved in every ministry I could, trying to seek what the Lord would have me to do. It was August, and the Lord revealed to me he wanted me to serve him full time. So I'd sent my application off to Bible college. It came back in October, approved. I was leaving in December, and I was still at David's on Saturday nights because I had no idea how my family would react. When I told my parents and my sister closest to my age, I think sort of in the back of their mind, they figured this is just another one of Jay's phases. Give him six months, a year. He'll just be on to something else. But when I started trying to witness to them and try to get them to read the Old Testament, which Jewish people claim they believe in, they all refused. And they told me if I want to have anything to do with them, I couldn't talk to them about the Lord. My oldest sister, Sherry, wouldn't speak to me for over two years. She refused to come to our wedding. My brother, Mark, he disowned me. He wouldn't see me, write me, or speak to me. He was too cheap to have a funeral. But other than that, I was dead to him. But every day since I've been saved, I've prayed that the Lord would put a David in my family's life 
Somebody, they might not listen to me, but somebody that could be a witness and a testimony to my family. I met my wife at, at Bible college. She went and taught her first year for, for Pastor Roulette. That's where we got married. And we thought that was the only time any of my family would ever hear a clear plan of salvation. I praise the Lord they did. But we would do anything we could to get my family to come to church. We'd put off dedicating our children until my parents came to visit us so they'd come to church. My oldest son plays the piano. My pastor would let him play Israeli music anytime my parents were in town just so they'd come to church. I would talk to my parents almost every week, and so many times my dad would say to me, Jay, I'm so proud of you, the, the huge change I'd see in your life. And every time I'd say, Dad, it's not me. It's what Jesus has done. And I remember one time my dad saying, I know, Jay, I just wish it would have been something else. See, my dad was so bitter against God. Half his family died in the Holocaust, and even though we went to synagogue every time the doors were open, kept all the holidays, traditions, uh, kept kosher. He was just so bitter at God. It's now February of 2002. Talked to my dad on, on a weekend. He told me that they found out he had acute leukemia and he had about three or four months left. They couldn't do a bone marrow transplant because of other health issues. But I just determined I was going to go and share the gospel with him. I really didn't care what consequences there was going to be. My sister closest to me, Ronnie, was going to go out that next Saturday, and I was going to go out the following Saturday. Talked to my dad the next Friday night. He was in good spirits. We were joking around, but Saturday morning, my mom called me up and told me that my dad passed away overnight. You know, I had a really hard time trying to understand why God wouldn't just give me one more chance to try and witness to my dad. But you know, our ways aren't God's way, and God knows exactly what he's doing. But sometimes we get so bitter at God because we don't like the way he's doing things, but he knows why and what he's doing. The Lord knew my dad had no desire to have a relationship with him. When I went out and my mom and my sister and I are sitting in the funeral home, the funeral director asked my mom if she has a rabbi to perform his funeral. And my mom turned to me and she says, Jay, would you do dad's funeral? Now, my dad is buried in a Jewish cemetery, but let me tell you, he had a Baptist funeral. And hundreds of people heard the gospel. See, God knows exactly what he's doing. We still would try and get my mom anytime we could to come to church. Two years later, my mom got involved in two car accidents in one day and found out she had Alzheimer's. She couldn't drive anymore, couldn't live on her own anymore. But I would try at least once a year to go see her and try and witness to her. My sister saw her almost every week, and half the time she wouldn't remember who she was. But this is what God's capable of. It's not me. It's what he's capable of. Every time I saw my mom, she knew who I was. She didn't always remember my wife or my children, but she always knew who I was. We moved to Israel in 2008. Eight, and it's the one place my mom always wanted to go back and visit. So I asked my sister if at Thanksgiving I could take her for three weeks and sort of give my sister a break. And so I flew back to the States and got her. She spent three weeks with her and I, with me and my family. And we just kept praying there'd be some time during those three weeks that I'd be able to witness to her that she'd understand and be coherent. 
I mean, I took her to Gordon's Calvary. I took her to Gethsemane. I took her to these places where Jesus had been. And we were driving back. And I just started asking her questions about where we'd been that day and what we'd done. And, and it was truly a miracle. Totally coherent, understood everything I was saying. And I started witnessing to her very slowly. And, and she cut me off and she says, Jay, I was born a Jew, I'm going to die a Jew. And I says, Mom, I'm just as Jewish today as I was the day I was born. I'm just completed in Christ. And she got angry. And I think she, sort of in the back of her mind, she thought if she'd, she'd get to see my dad again. But every year I would try and go out and see her. It's now 2012. I started getting a little bit better relationship with my oldest sister, Sherry. And I was going back to visit my mom. And it was over the, the Christmas holidays. And it's about the same time as Hanukkah each year. And this is the first time from 1988 till 2012 she'd ever invited me to her home for a, a holiday. My brother always came. So I assumed he was going to be out of town or, or had to work. And I asked her, is Mark going to be there? And I believe so, she told me. I hadn't seen, I hadn't spoken, I hadn't written to my brother since 1988. But again, I just started praying that the Holy Spirit would give me an opportunity to say something. You know, there are no accidents, there are no coincidences with God. And we were just sitting down to, to dinner and out of the blue, my, my nephew, Adam, says, Jay, I know you, you're, you were Baptist. Now that you moved back to Israel, did you convert back to Judaism? And I just very emphatically, I says, no, I'm still a Baptist. You know, I think so often we expect God to, to kick down doors and, and break down walls. But God knows exactly what he's doing. The next year, we went out, and I went with my oldest son. And we were going out to dinner with my sister, and my brother was supposed to come, and my sister said, I don't believe he's coming. He's having such bad uh, back problems, he can't even sit in a chair and go to work. And we just get to the restaurant and walk in the door, and here my brother comes walking in, Mark. You know, my family didn't agree with what changed my life, but they saw a change. Now, my sister's a perfectionist, and I'll give you one example. She has a license plate that's personalized. It says Terminator, and it's not because she's an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. It's because she's fired so many people at work that don't live up to her standard. So she's never been one for compliments and, and niceties. But we were just getting ready to leave the restaurant, and she gave me a, a hug goodbye and whispered in my ear. And she says, Jay, you know, you're a great dad. And I know that might not seem a lot, but God works little by little, if we just be faithful and be a witness and a testimony for him. The next year, 2014, my son Seth and I went out. We saw my mom twice that week in June. The first time she wasn't coherent at all, but the second time, her long-term memory, her short-term memory, amazing, God was doing another miracle. So just very simply and slowly, I gave her the gospel. She didn't cut me off this time for about 20 minutes. And then I started asking her questions to see if she understood anything I'd said. And she understood everything. And I says, Mom, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Messiah, as your Savior? You know, you can go to heaven when you die. In June of 2014, she bowed her head and she prayed and asked Jesus to save her. 
Five months later, she went home to be with the Lord. See, God has a plan. We don't always understand it or know it, but all of us need to be a David. There's somebody that God puts in our midst that we can be a witness and a testimony to. I think sometimes several people. If you have your Bible and you'll turn with me to, to Romans chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know, unfortunately, that sounds like a lot of independent Baptists. You know, it doesn't take long for us to forget where we've come from. You know, every day I try and remember my salvation experience and, and what it took for me to get saved. You know, God has put you in an amazing church that teaches and preaches the Word of God. But I think so often that builds us up with pride and we come across somebody of another denomination or another uh, religion and sometimes we come across as condescending because we have the truth, we know the truth. But it's by the grace of God you're where you're at. You know, I deserve to go to hell just as much today as I did the day before I was saved. It's just by the grace of God that he saved me. I'm the least in my family, but God. It's all in his providence. If we would just humble ourselves and remember everything we have is his. There's nothing good in me. And the reason that my dad saw such a huge change in my life is because it was the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells within me because I'm not capable of that kind of humility and brokenheartedness. You know, God wants to accomplish so much in our lives. If you would have known me growing up, it, it would blow your mind that I'm standing here because I hated being in front of people. If there was a play at school, I'd rather do stagecraft, I'd rather do lighting, I'd rather clean the toilets than stand up in front of people. But when we get saved, we're a new creature. Old things have passed away, become old things become new. And so many times at different congregations, Pat, my pastor would ask me to do things, and, I, and, and probably 90% of the time I thought he was crazy because I didn't think I was capable. But I was willing to submit because I knew God had put him in that position. And I was willing to do what he asked me to do, and God has always given me whatever I needed to fulfill what God's called me to do. If we would just use the gifts that God already has given us, he'll give us whatever else we need to serve him. In Proverbs chapter 20, in verse 6, 
It says, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who could find. You know, God gives us opportunities, I believe, every day to give him the honor and glory. But I think so often we, we're puffed up with pride and, and look what I accomplished. It's not what I accomplished, it's what he's accomplished. And I've had many secular jobs where I've always done my very best at every job I've had. So my dad was, wasn't a, a godly man, but he was a wise man. He always says, you do the best you can where you're at until, God provi until you, you're provided with a better job. But I don't know how many jobs I've had where people will make jokes about me or laugh about me because of the stands I take and what I won't listen to and where I won't go and what I won't do. But those same people, when they have a crisis in their life, will come and ask me to pray for them. My, my brother-in-law, Carl, uh, my youngest sister closest to me, Ronnie, her husband, is a staunch Roman Catholic. Goes to Mass every day. He wouldn't come to our wedding because it wasn't in a Catholic church. Wouldn't come to our ded children's dedications because it wasn't in a Catholic church. But after my dad's funeral, he came up to me and he says, Jay, where'd you find all that scripture? When I was getting ordained, I invited my friend David, I invited my sister, my brother-in-law Carl came. It's the first time in his life he had been to a church that wasn't Catholic. Uh, pastor Roulette and another pastor were doing my ordination and afterwards we went out to eat and he couldn't stop talking about how much he enjoyed the speaking. You know, God's working if we would just be faithful and patient. And I, and I believe that the rest of my family eventually will get saved. I'm not giving up. If you can turn with me to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You know, I hadn't even been saved a year. And a friend of mine, Mitch, our parents went to high school together. He called me up and he was having some marital problem and asked if he'd come spend a weekend with me. And I figured this is going to be great. He'll spend the weekend with me, he'll come to church, he'll get saved. I hadn't been saved a year and I, how I, I forgot what it took for me to get saved, and I expected him to get saved in being in one service. See, I got in the flesh. And all I did was push him away. He didn't want to have a whole lot to do with me. We, we might talk every couple months then. After that, it was maybe once a year. 
You know, but praise the Lord, we do have a God of second chances. And almost 12 years later, he'd been through drug rehab three times, getting divorced, had nowhere to go. He called me up. We were living in, in Tennessee then. And he asked if he'd come live with us. And at that point, the company I was working for, I was out of town during the week. I'd come home on the weekend, and I just told them, I just can't put my family in that situation. But I was working in Cincinnati, Ohio, for about three months on this project. And I says, if you want to come and stay there and live with me, you could, but there are going to be certain rules. No drugs, no drinking, no smoking, no swearing. Uh, we'd have uh, Bible study every day. And on Wednesday, you'd have to come to church with me. And I figured he's just going to say no. But praise the Lord, he agreed. And he came down and he was just complaining about how miserable and horrible his life was. So I decided to start in the book of Job. It didn't take very long where he didn't think his life was that bad. <laughs> but the pastor was teaching out of Acts. And at that church, uh, it's very similar to this church. They do their prayer requests and have a time of prayer after the service. And for the first few weeks, every Wednesday night in service, he's like this. He didn't want to be there, but the Holy Spirit was working, and the, the pastor was, I mean, just amazing how the Holy Spirit was working. And, and Mitch was, you could see, each week he was getting a little more upset and uptight. By the fourth week, at the end of the preaching, he, he just said, I, I, gotta, I gotta go. And he went and told me to pick him up outside after we were done. And after we, we were done, I asked him what was wrong. And he says, Jay, why won't you ask people to pray for me? And I says, Mitch, you're an adult. I don't want to embarrass you in front of everybody. If you want people to pray for you, just ask them. He didn't really want to talk about how he was feeling convicted. But the next Wednesday night, at the end of the service, he stood up. And he asked a bunch of non-Jews, to pray for him in Jesus' name. And let me tell you, it's not an easy thing. God was working. So I started sharing verses out of the Old Testament with him and the New Testament. And over the next four weeks, he accepted the Lord as his personal Savior. But every time I think of Mitch, I think maybe that if I wasn't in the flesh the first time, that maybe he wouldn't have had to go through drug rehab three times. Maybe he wouldn't have to have a broken marriage. You know, there's consequences for our actions. And we need to really know that and follow the Holy Spirit's leading and know it's because of him and, and us just not trying to do something to build us up. Because it's all about him. You know, I enlisted in the Army for three years. I had three years of being a reserve. But when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, I became a, a lifetime soldier for Jesus Christ. And I know, we all know how the book ends. We know the end of the story. We shouldn't be discouraged by what we see going on because we know what's going to happen. And I truly believe that, that every church is a lighthouse. And if we would just be faithful and use the abilities and talents we have, that as the world gets darker and darker and darker, 
We don't have to change our programs. We don't have to do anything different than what the Word of God says. Our light's going to shine brighter and brighter because the world's so dark. And I truly believe we're going to have more opportunities to be a witness and a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ if we just be faithful and let our light so shine. God told the Jewish people to be a light to the world, and they refused. If you're here tonight, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're supposed to be that light to the world. To let your light so shine, so the people see that there's something different about you. I just pray the Lord would be working in everyone's heart. I pray that maybe the Lord's bringing a neighbor, a friend, a a co-worker, a relative, maybe they're, they're faced before you right now that maybe you've given up on. You've stopped praying for them and trying to witness to them, invite them to church. I just pray you'd have a renewed vision tonight for the lost. Thank you.